Let's pray. Lord, I, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is sufficient in that it addresses every single thing that's going on in our life. Um, there's, not, there's not something that's ever going on in our life. There's not a situation that's happening where your word doesn't address it and that it doesn't sufficiently address it. And so, Lord, because we rest in assurance, because we know that your word um, is mighty, your word is powerful, God, I pray that you would use it this morning. I pray that you would remove me out of the equation, that you'd move me totally out of the way, and that everything you want said, that you would, Holy Spirit, come and say today. And that anything that I have planned to say that would not be good or helpful or true, Lord, take those things away. I pray that you would come now and speak to every person in this room. Um, Call them to repentance where they need repentance. Lord, lead them into faith if they don't know Jesus and where they need to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would do that. You would give them a sense of assurance if they're in the faith, God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read the text and then we'll go in. Now, what I want to do here, because we're picking up a 19 and really John's kind of still talking about something. So I'm going to go up a little bit and we're going to read through that so you can kind of understand what he's talking about. I'm just going to start at 16, uh, but just know that we're kind of finishing up this second test with his love. John has been talking about love. um, And this is what he says at 16. And we're going to start our text for today at 19. It says, by this, we know love. That he, talking about Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. And the 19, you'll see the words, by this. This is why I read beforehand, because we need to know what the by this means. He's talking about love. Um... By this, we shall know that we're of the truth and reassure our heart before him. So you can see the little, the little phrase, reassure our heart. This is where um, I believe the whole rest of the point through 24 is kind of talking about. That we all are going to need times where we need to have um, reassurance of heart. Uh, now, there's a guy that lived uh, about 50 years ago. His name's James Boyce. And as he was writing um, on this... He was telling us that there's some situations or some circumstances in our life where we need reassurance. And I'm just going to kind of read some of these um, and maybe they'll land on you and you can know why is the importance of, of reassurance in your life. There's four of them. One is matter of disposition. Um, it, what he's saying is that some people are just more melancholy. Some people are just more introspective than others. And whenever we're more melancholy or more introspective than other people, that tends to make us down because if you look honestly at yourself you're going to see some pretty dark things because we're all sinners, every one of us. And so that's going to make us feel down whenever we we know we should have had that conversation. We didn't whenever we saw that we were more selfish than selfless. Um, we're just more introspective. That is going to make us down. The next thing is that a reason why we might need assurance is our health. Um, sometimes if someone has cancer or another terminal illness or things like that, um, they're going to say, God has put this on me for some reason, that he's upset at me, that he's got to be um, punishing, me for, punish me, punishing me for a reason. And if that's the case, if, if you start thinking about it too long, then you'll start questioning your salvation as well. And you're like, I don't even know if, if God's hand is on me. Is his hand even with me? And if this is the case, then I, maybe I'm not in the faith. And so John, Pastor John, wants to come and say, 
It's okay. He, you can know that you're in the faith. The next one is sin. And this is probably one of the, the larger reasons why some of us might need assurance in our life. Sin. Specific sin causes us to wonder why we did it and why we're in the, why we're in the faith, um, if we're in the faith. I remember having a conversation just uh, three weeks ago with a guy. And he was telling me, you know, sometimes I just don't understand what I do. Sometimes I wonder, am I really a Christian? Because I'll go Friday and I'll go Saturday and I'll just kind of... Um, Please my flesh, I'll do some things and then I'll wake up the next morning just thinking, wow, did I just do that last night? Am I really, am I really a Christian? What, what the world was that last night? And so whenever we have those times, and it doesn't mean that you, you know, you're some crazy partier for Friday and Saturday. It can just be that um, you just had a conversation with your spouse in which you know didn't please Jesus. You, you, you spoke in such a harsh way to to your spouse, and you're like, wow, what is up with that? How did I do that? Or you just got so vindictive in traffic, you decided to cut off the old lady and let her know you didn't, you know, whatever. There's, there's times where in your life you're just like, what the world was that? And where did that come from? And then you start thinking, do Christi- how can I, you know, and you need, you need assurance if you're in the faith. Um, the last one is circumstances. Um, these aren't necessarily sins that you've done, but sins that have been done to you. Um, this is not cancer. This is not terminal illness. These are specific sins. You can think of uh, women who have been raped or sexually assaulted or children if they've grown up in a house uh, where it was abusive their entire life. They just kind of wonder, how, why, why do these dark things kind of follow me around? Why do these things happen to me? Why are my parents getting divorced? Why? And there's just all kinds of things that can keep happening. And if you think too long, if you're too introspective, um, you can start saying, am I even a believer? And so these are just some reasons. These aren't the exhaustive reasons. But we all need, as John's saying, by this we shall know the word of the truth and reassure our heart before him. We're all going to at some time need reassurance of heart. This word reassurance here um, has several kind of ways we can define it. One is, uh, one is reassure, one is persuade, one is convince. This means that we're, we're persuading ourselves. We're trying to reassure ourselves. We're trying to convince ourselves that we're in the faith. Now, this isn't some kind of false con- convincing. This isn't some kind of, I'm going to talk myself into the fact that I'm a bullfighter. And so I, I can just determine, that's not the case. It's not, I'm just gr- grab that out of the air. Um, you're not talking yourself into something that you're not. All right, this is, you're convincing yourself that you are based on truth, based on scripture. Notice what he says, by this we shall know that we're of the truth. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk how that, what that looks like. Um, and then it says in 20, for whenever... Our heart, let me just read the rest and then we'll come back. Uh, By this we shall know that we're of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we do what he commands and do what, what what pleases him. Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and he in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. All right. Now, verse 20 is kind of tricky. Verse 20 says this. For whenever, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything for whenever our heart condemns us. God is greater than our heart. Now, verse 20 can be interpreted 
two different ways, and these two different ways are very, very decisive on which way you're going to actually understand it. I mean, it's, it's huge differences between the two. Um, literally, uh, you would see for that for can also be because. Uh, it can also be because. Because or for whenever God, our heart condemns us. Now, in the ESV, it just says God is greater. But there's actually another for or because there in the Greek. So here's the two different ways we can we can we can read this. The first way is kind of the natural reading as we're reading the ESV. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Meaning whatever lies your heart is trying to tell you, whatever it is it's telling you, you stink, you're horrible, you're a sinner, I can't believe all this. You don't have to believe those things because God's greater than our, our sinful, deceitful heart. God is greater than these things. He knows everything. He knows the gospel. He's the one that caused Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has caused that to be true. If your heart is condemning you, God is not condemning you because th- he is greater than that. So that's kind of the first reading. Now here's the second reading, which kind of changes it a lot. It says, um, instead of four, we can read it this way. Because... Whenever our heart condemns us, because whenever our heart condemns us, it is because God is greater than our heart. This little it is is kind of supplied, but it can be understand. It could be understood in the Greek. And what he's saying is because whenever our heart condemns us, it is because God is greater than our heart. Meaning this, if your heart already senses a contradiction in your life between what you profess and what you practice. Your hearts, my heart, all of our hearts will sense that. There's a contradiction between what I profess and what I practice. Um, It is because God is greater than our heart. Our heart is only echoing what the definite knowledge of God is. The definite knowledge of God is is that he knows your heart. He knows, as he says, he knows everything. Um, And so you think that your heart is able to condemn you. Well, God, who knows everything, will clearly be able to condemn you. Well, that's... That's vastly different. Those are hugely two different things. Now, um, people have interpreted it both ways. Um, And as I studied and as I read and as I just tried to see it, um, I think the first one is the interpretation that is correct. And that's the one I'm going to go with. Now, um, the reason why is because the natural flow of it is this. By this we shall know that we're of the truth and reassure our heart. He's wanting us to reassure our heart. He's wanting us to not feel condemned. And he's writing to Christians. And he says, reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, which is a normal thing sometimes. We all feel that experienced. Um, And then he says, God is greater than our heart. He's wanting us to know as Christians that we can have assurance. He's he's wanting us to, um, because he's writing to Christians, feel like they're in the faith. Know that they're in the faith based on truth. So that's that's where we're going. Let's just kind of... Um, backtrack and, and, and take the first point, which is this. Um, and 20, for whenever our heart condemns us. So the first thing is this, about reassurance. And this is for all of you that, that feel the need sometimes to feel reassured. This is for every one of you that whenever you walk through the week, sometimes you're like, I sometimes feel like I'm not in the faith. Is that bad? Is that can I really even feel that? Is that, is that a feeling I should even, I should even have? Look at, look at 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, this term, whenever, um, is key. So here's the first thing about reassurance is needing reassurance is a normal Christian experience. 
Needing reassurance is a normal Christian experience. Because he says whenever. Whenever he says whenever, he's not saying, you pagans, you, you stinking terrible Christians, every once in a while you're going to have it, but all of us normal guys that are in faith, we're not ever going to have it. It's whenever. It's, he's, he's writing to Christians, he's saying whenever. So you need to know that needing reassurance um, is connoting or, or, or driving to us that it may happen in the life of the Christian more often than we think. And it's okay. Um, we don't want to stay there and we don't want to think that we, we need to have that you know, all the time. But it's saying it can come sometimes. Um, and it can come from all kinds of things. Not loving someone else, someone well, sin, health, whatever. Sin happening to you, which we already talked about. Um, and then it says this. For whenever our heart condemns us. Um, this is like an accusing conscience. We know that Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can trust it? We know that our heart is not something that we can always trust. You know, Jimmy Cricket or whatever his name is said, just follow your heart. Bad advice. Bad advice. Um, follow Jesus. Great advice. Um, but John, uh, I'm sorry. I was reading um, in one of the commentators, New Testament commentator, he said that as we're talking about this heart condemning, the early church fathers and you know, those that lived in the 300s and 400s and then the reformers later on in the 1500s, whenever they were reading this verse, they interpreted this verse as a warning. They would say, if you're reading this verse, um, you, need to, you have a, need to have a warning, which is there's accusations that your heart is trying to condemn you. And if that's happening, the, the danger that you can walk over to is complacency. The danger that you can walk into is complacency. So if your heart starts um, trying to warn you, trying to, trying to condemn you, I don't think you're in the faith, then you can. One of the dangers that you can walk into is whenever it keeps telling you that, you can just say, forget it, I don't care, I'm just going to walk over here to Sinland, and I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be the friend of Sinland. I, I don't even care anymore, I can't do it, I give up, it's too hard, I'm just going to kind of be apathetic, and I'm just going to do my deal. That's a danger. Um, we don't want that to happen in our lives. We clearly don't want that to happen in our lives. So what can we do? What can we do? 19 tells us that we should reassure our heart. Whenever our heart condemns us, we need to reassure our heart. And all of 19 says, by this we shall know that we're of the truth. Um, and we're going to see in 4, 1 through 7, 1 John 4, 1 through 7, that we need to know what truth is. We need to know what truth is. And so what do we do when we need it? It's okay. It's a normal Christian experience. What do we do? <clears throat> Here's the second one. Preach the gospel to yourself. About reassurance. What do you do? You preach the gospel to yourself. You use verses whenever your heart tries to condemn you. If you're in the faith. If you've trusted Jesus. And you're in a dark time. You literally preach truth to yourself. You don't just say, you know, try to pull it up within yourself. I can do it. You need to let truth, real biblical truth from, from Christ come to you. And you preach that gospel to yourself. If you've just let yourself go into sin... And you know, what was that? I didn't want to do that. I, that's not who I am. You come back and you say, all right, I'm going to preach truth to myself. I'm, I'm not going to keep indulging in that as if it's okay, but I'm going to preach truth to myself. Verses like this, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That sin right there is not who I am. Just because I've done that, Jesus is still saying to me, no condemnation. As a matter of fact, all the condemnation that was supposed to be poured out on me was poured out on Jesus. And so if I try to hang on to a little condemnation for myself, I'm telling the cross, you're not sufficient cross to cover my sin. Maybe everybody else, maybe a lot of my sin, but not that one specific thing. 
We don't want to ever tell the cross that it's not sufficient, the atonement of Jesus, the, His penalty paid on the cross, that it wasn't enough to pay for your sin. You preach the gospel to yourself. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you kind of fast forward through the end of Romans chapter 8, um, verse 31 through 30, 34 says this, listen to this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, you preach this to This is beautiful. Listen to this. If God is for us, who can be against us? If Jesus is for you, Jesus, God himself, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen to this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who's going to come to you and try to condemn you? If Satan is trying to whisper in your ear, oh, but you did this. Oh, but what about this? You're useless. You can't, listen. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. If God himself has declared you innocent, he ha- God has declared you righteous. He has justified you. Well, then no one can bring a charge because God has said you're innocent. Listen to this. Who is, who is to condemn? The question is no one. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. You need to preach these precious truths to yourself. Whenever you are doubting, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you right now. I know, Father, what He did. I understand, but that sin right there is paid for by me on the cross. All of your righteous, righteous anger is poured out on me, God, so don't do Him. You need to tell these things yourself. Because whenever you're in the middle of the sin, you're, you're feeling down, you're feeling neglected, you're feeling like a wretched, horrible sinner, and you feel like there's no way, there's no way I can be a child of God. So you need to take, now, caveat, this is for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right? You're going to preach truth to yourself. This isn't, this isn't for people that aren't of Christ Jesus. You can't just say, well, I'm a child of God, I'm good. No, you need to put your faith in Jesus, just like it says in 24, and this is the commandment that, this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ. You, you have to put your faith in Him. This is for children of God to preach the gospel to themselves because all of us are going to be feeling this, this Romans 7 experience that Paul has where the things that we want to do, well, we don't do those things, but the things we don't want to do, we end up doing those things. And we're going to feel that throughout our life. It's sin working itself out in us. So we preach the gospel to ourselves. God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. What does this mean when it says God's greater than our heart? It means when your heart's giving you a message... It's telling you that you stink based on the way you feel right now. Subjective reality in this moment, you feel not saved. But objective reality, objective truth, Ephesians 1 says that you have been seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. That's pretty good to know. When I need to be assured, I need verses like that. And listen, you're not going to, you're going to soak in despair if you're not feeding yourself precious truths of the word every day, you're going to forget the Bible completely and you're going to believe those lies if you're not immersing yourself in the word to know these truths so whenever these things come, you know how to preach to yourself. The utter need for us to be in the word. All right. So when he's telling you you're not a child of God, your heart or whoever, 
God's greater than your heart who's telling you these things. Your feelings are not greater than God. God's the one that saved you. And you are a child of God. Which is great news. And then he says, Beloved, Pastor John loving them well, um, being very pastorly. Um, and then he switches over here. You'll notice that he switches over to, let's see if I get this right, first person plural um, and not third person plural, not y'all or, yeah, second plural. He's not talking about y'all. Y'all need to do this. I'm all over the place here with that. It's second person plural. He's not doing that. He's using first. What I mean is he's not saying you guys stink. You guys need to hear this truth. He's including himself in that. He's saying we, we all need to hear this. Very, very, very brilliant pastor. Very smart. Um, this is what he says. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn, condemn us, we have confidence before God. We have confidence before God. Now, um, confidence. Confidence. John, as he writes this epistle, as he writes this letter, likes contrasts. We've talked about that already. Righteousness versus unrighteousness. Love versus hate. Light versus darkness. He, he uses lots of contrasts. And here he's using another one, which is confidence versus condemnation. Confidence versus condemnation. That's his contrast here as we're going into it. And what he's saying is, he wants you to have confidence. He desperately desires that you as a child of God would know what confidence is. As a matter of fact, he uses, he uses the word confidence several times. In 2.28, um, 1 John 2.28, And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. He also uses it in 4.17. Um, in the same book, he says, by this is his love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. And he also uses it in 5.14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. John desperately, because the whole letter is about assurance, wants us to have confidence. It's good for us to have confidence in Christ. And he mentions it here several, several times in this letter. So here's the third point about assurance. You can have confidence before God. He wants that. He wants you to have confidence. This is not arrogant. This is not arrogant at all. Confidence is good because you're not basing it on yourself. You're not basing it on your walk. You're basing it all on Jesus. I have confidence because of Jesus. Let me just show you some text here. Um, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul is writing about this. And this is what he says, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose. Now he's talking about the church and he says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we as Christians have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Confidence. I used to office at home. I just uh, recently got an office at York Baptist Association, so I can have a place to put my books. I was living out of books, you know, this murderous trying to find a book in like 15 boxes. But I just got a, I got an office at home. But before that, uh, I used to office at home when we first started the church. I would office. At, we had a little room before our, our fourth child came. We had a little room that was mine. And uh, I would go in there and I'd close the door and I'd have all my boxes. And I would be in there. And whenever the children knew that I was in there, um, 
especially my, my youngest, well, not youngest now, but at the time youngest, Aiden, uh, he knew I was in there, even Karis, my four-year-old, they would come up to the door, and I'd have to lock it eventually. But before I started locking it, they would come up, and they would kind of bang on the door, Daddy, I want to come in there. And, you know, who were they to interrupt me in my Holy of Holies while I'm studying? I mean, I am preparing a message for the people of God I am preparing my heart to come and preach my heart out. Who are they to come with such confidence to my door? And my, I didn't have it locked. And they would open it up and they would, they would just march right up. And I'd be, I mean, I would be in the middle of studying my text and looking at the scriptures and, and trying to write. And they would be this arrogant to come up and get into my lap and sit in my lap and say, Daddy, I love you. I'm so happy that I can get here. And they would say things like this. And I was just thinking, you know, you, you, child, have a lot of confidence to come in here to my place. And then I just started thinking, how beautiful is it? How beautiful is it that a child understands confidence? You're a child of God. He's already told you in 228 through 3.3. You're a child. And, and with the same beautiful kind of unawareness of who they are and what's going on and the situation that daddy's working, confidence that a two-year-old or four-year-old would, would come s- climb up into daddy's lap and want to sit there. That's the confidence you have. You don't need to be scared of your heavenly father. You can approach him with confidence the same way that a two-year-old would, would climb up into my lap while I'm trying to study. Because... In his mind, you're daddy, and I want to sit in daddy's lap. That's the confidence you have to approach your father. And so when you're feeling out, when you're, when you're feeling dejected, if your health is bad, if your sin is high, if circumstances are going on in your life, that's the confidence you have. Like a naive two-year-old. You can do that. Here's where it gets awesome. Because John is going to connect this confidence we have, not just with being able to to approach him and be able to be in his presence, but he's going to connect that confidence with prayer. Not only can we just come and be in his presence, we can still ask him to do things in our life. That's even more. That's kind of the next step. I don't just get to be with... Two-year-olds and four-year-olds, just, just, and six-year-olds even, just love to be with daddy. When they get teenagers, you know, daddy's like the most uncool person in the world. They didn't want to be around him. Just, just walk ahead of me and I'll kind of trail behind you and we're in the mall or something like that. But when they're children, it's so beautiful. Um, I'm scared about teenagers. But th- they want to be, like they just want to climb up and, and be in your lap. And that's, that's the kind of same idea we should have with our, with our Heavenly Father. We, we want to be there with Him. We should want that. And what he's saying is, not only do you get my presence, now you can also pray. You can talk to me. We can have conversation. And you can ask, ask me for things. And I want to give them to you. Look at the connection he makes with confidence in prayer. Look at this in 21. Beloved, our heart does not condemn us. We have confidence before him. And, continuing that same thought, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we do his commandments and, and do what pleases him. All right, so this is this is amazing. Um, John is kind of uh, 
saying this in a really fast way. John heard Jesus say this, and so we're going to look what Jesus said. And, and John wrote it, John's already recorded what Jesus said in his gospel. So I want, I want to flip over to John and let you hear how Jesus said this basic idea, where uh, if we ask whatever we receive from him, this is in John chapter 14, uh, verses 13 and 14. If, if, you don't have to flip, you can just listen. John chapter 14. This is Jesus saying those things that John just said, and John's kind of hitting it real fast here in 1 John. This is what it says. Um, John 14, 13, it says, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And I'm going to read that again, because he's not putting any caveats in there. He's not saying, but only an if. And I did it. Listen to this. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we know that the Father needs to be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so it's, it's, you know, it's not absolutely crucial, but I do think we should when we pray in Jesus' name. A little side note. I think we should pray in Jesus' name. He's the only way we have access to the Father. So we, we want to say our prayers in Jesus' name. But listen to this. Um, He's expanding these words back over to 1 John. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. Um, John Calvin, a reformer from 500 years ago, was talking about this verse, uh, speaking of the confidence we have in prayer. And he's saying that no one can really pray to God, but those who have a pure heart, fear and rightly, who with a pure heart, fear and rightly worship him. So we, we do understand that there's a sense in which um, we, as people of God, need to be walking with God so that we can even know what to pray. There's a sense in that. But what Jesus is telling you, if you ask, I'll give it to you. You have confidence not just to be there, but to pray and, then, and to receive things from him. This is the fourth, wing, fourth thing about assurance. Um, feeling condemned and having confidence affects your prayer life, either negatively or positively. That's, that's something you need to know about assurance. If you're feeling condemned... Um, then your assurance level is low and it affects your prayer life. You won't ask as much. Um, but if you're not feeling condemned, but you're having confidence, then it's going to affect, and I say respectively, because negatively is being condemned, positively is feeling com- having confidence. Now, um, let's look at this, though. There's a little part here where he says, um, because we, we receive whatever he, we ask, because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases Him. Um, if we do what pleases Him, we are keeping His commandments. So those two things kind of go together. But if we're doing those things, and we're walking in His will, then we know that we, we have prayers that we can pray, that will be heard, that will be answered. Pretty amazing. Um, let, me, let me read you a text from Hebrews that talks about the confidence that we have um, in prayer. This is Hebrews 4.16. It says this, Let us then... This is not just confidence in front of God. This is confidence in prayer. Look what he says. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. Find grace to help in time of need. We have confidence to draw near to the throne that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is it that gives us the confidence. Psalm 37.4 says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. 
Delighting yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. So if we are finding our joy in Him, then we'll ask for the right things. We'll ask things in accordance with His will. He'll give us the desires of our heart. So what's our confidence? What's Hebrews talking about as our confidence? What is John telling us as our confidence? He, he tells that in 23, and we're, I don't want to unpack too much, but we're going to see that next week. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus. Our comfort, confidence is centered around the gospel. Centered around Jesus. Everything is about Him and His cross, that He died on the, on the cross for us, forgiving all of our sin. We have confidence because we know all of our sin was paid for on the cross. All of it. That is beautiful. That's why we have confidence. So as we think about assurance and needing to be reassured, we preach the gospel to ourselves that no one is going to condemn us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of the cross. We're going to go into the Lord's Supper and um, we're taking the Lord's Supper right now each week as we go through this fast because we're showing um, to ourselves, we're, we're teaching to ourselves, we're reminding to ourselves that <clears throat> as we come, that we want Jesus to be our portion, not the things that we're fasting from. We don't want to be enticed for love for those things, that we want Christ to be our portion. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper today um, going through this fast. I'm going to pray and then we'll, um, then we'll talk just a second before we go in. Lord, I thank you for Christ. I thank you for our only, um, our only confidence that can be found in Him and Him alone for His payment on the cross. God, I thank you that just like a child would walk up to their father and get in his lap no matter what he's doing, that that's how you want us to be. You... You desire us to be in your presence with confidence, not based on our own um, workings, not based on something that we think that we've earned or that we've worked and so we deserve it, but only based on Christ. Because of your son that you gave, we have confidence to draw near to your throne because of Jesus' blood shed on the cross. God, I thank you that we can do that. Be with us now as we go into the Lord's Supper, Father. Prepare our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.